to another episode of Future Nation. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Where we speak with some of today's brightest innovators and explore the future of disruptive innovation. Let's go. Here's your host, Daniel Callow. Hi, and welcome to Future Nation. I am your host, Daniel Callow. Today, I will be speaking with Charlotte Petrus. Charlotte has over 20 years' experience within the corporate finance sector, working with some of the world's top companies such as Credit Suisse and KPMG. Frustrated with the existing financial models and passion for technology, Charlotte wanted to find a better way for businesses to gain access to short-term capital. In 2014, Charlotte co-founded Timelio, a platform that seeks to revolutionize the way organizations can access short-term capital by connecting investors with businesses in real time. Today, Charlotte is both co-founder of Timelio and a member of the Australian Federal Government's FinTech Advisory Group. Her passion for FinTech is unparalleled and is actively involved in shaping Australia's FinTech industry. I introduce to you Charlotte Petrus. Hello, Charlotte, and thank you very much for agreeing to be on Future Nation today. Thank you for having me. So, tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, so anyone that's grown up in a family business will certainly relate to that childhood, your experience being surrounded by every impact that business has on your surroundings and your family. Yeah. So that was my experience and I guess it was instilled in a very young age what the key drivers for business and growth are and that's around cash flow and funding and how to run that business. So I was exposed to a lot of that when I was young. So it's probably no surprise that I went on to work in finance and banking. And that's what really excited me about working with other business owners and advising them on on capital. Yeah. So growing up in that environment and seeing my parents who work very long hours and having their own business uh, and actually the challenges that can bring for family life. I always grew up and I went, I really want to one day go out and do my business where I am going to make a difference in this world, but I'm not going to do it as a family business because of the challenges that brings. But that's what I went on and did exactly that. (laughs) And funnily enough, so did my sister. So I started my career at KPMG where I qualified as an accountant and then I moved on to spend a lot of my career in London working in all of the big global banks and financial institutions. So I had a lot of amazing experience and I learned a lot. But the one thing that I found was that I wasn't inspired by the culture in these institutions. Yeah. That was the time for me to go out and start something new. And that really aligned with over you know, the last 10 years, the changes in technology that are going to drive innovation in this industry. Yeah. So I knew the opportunity was in cash flow funding for businesses. That's where the real gap in the market has been. Yeah. And I saw that firsthand. So I was working in a role where I'm advising business owners on raising capital, selling their business debt and equity. And to me, that was the core problem. So I spent a lot of time working out what is the best use of technology and business model to solve this problem. So an important part of this journey is when I was working at one of the big banks over there, RBS, where I met my husband. So it's a very romantic story when we meet working in a bank. 
So that worked out well. And after seeing where this opportunity lay, I wanted to set up this marketplace model because I could see that is the quickest way to scale a business through investor funding and provide the best product to businesses. So my husband's expertise, Andrew, is in wealth management and asset management. So I thought he would be best placed on that side of the marketplace, bringing in the investor funding. And my expertise is best on the other side of the marketplace and basically sending out the funding. So that worked really well. Initially, I pitched this business idea to Andrew to say I would be seeking investment to start this business. And initially, he declined. He declined my pitch. (laughs) So I worked on him and it didn't take very long to get him to buy into what I was trying to achieve. And I was very much wanting to take that risk personally to sell our house to invest in this business. So it's important that he's bought into this idea and he did. So we both left our jobs and set up Timelio and we moved to Australia to do this. So it's been a really interesting journey of the experience and growing up in a family business and then you almost without realising replicate some of those experiences. So uh, we've got young children and you sometimes wonder – To start this business, you're so obsessed with it to get it off the ground that you're talking about it 24-7. So when my young child who's three years old is holding a phone up talking about buying and selling invoices as some of their first (laughs) words, you start to get a little bit concerned around uh, how how adverse is this business on my family life. Well, you've got another employee waiting there. Correct. Tell us a little bit about Timelio itself. What does Timelio do and how does the platform work? Yeah, so one of the biggest challenges for business owners trying to grow a business is that you're always going to need cash flow to bring on those new opportunities. So we see businesses where they have just won this new contract. Say they're going to roll out their product to 700 Woolworths stores across Australia and they go, oh, this is amazing. I'm so excited. And then an afterthought, they go, oh, my gosh, how am I going to finance this? (laughs) Typically, the first thing that the business owner will do is they'll ring up their bank and they will often be disappointed and find that they can't quickly access that cash. So what Timelio does is it it is an online marketplace for short-term working capital finance. So they will go, okay, my Woolworths invoice uh, is due to be paid for 60 days. How am I going to, in the meantime, fund my business? That invoice will be uploaded onto our marketplace and we have got a network of investors who will fund that. And it's a competitive funding platform. So investors will compete to bid on a cost of finance to forward advance the funding. So you get paid early by your customer. Yeah. And bring forward that cash flow. So we've really used technology to enable the customer to access funding quickly, on a flexible way, on their terms when they need it. Yeah. So that was what we launched over four years ago now. And the business has really expanded over the last few years. We've launched some innovative funding platforms for investors. So a key part of our marketplace is accessing alternative finance to provide for those businesses. So we offer this investment product to wholesale investors yep. where they can come to our platform and earn a rate of return to advance this money to the business owners. So typically, this sort of investment product is really only available to 
banks and financial institutions. So we've created this peer-to-peer marketplace. Yeah. So investors who have excess capital can share it with those who need it. Yeah. As we've developed and scaled the business with our funding, we've launched a time narrow capital fund. So those investors that want to hand us the money to be their fund managers, we will manage their funds okay. um, or so. And there's one more uh, evolution of the business over recent years where we now also work with the large corporates in the example, like a Woolworths, to offer that early payment to all of their supply chain. So we've built proprietary technology to enable that to happen as well. So that's working with Woolworths themselves to provide the platform for their suppliers, essentially. Correct. As an example, a company like Woolworths, a really large corporate. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. For the investor side of things, what category of investment would it be similar to as far as risk goes for the investor? It would be equivalent to a fixed income type return, but it's a a much shorter term duration. So on average, the investment duration is around 50 days for the invoice. So it's it's a short term lockup for working capital. So you can easily deploy the funds in and out as they require. And it's secured against? Yeah, it's secured against the receivable, the invoice itself. Yeah. And often we also would have security over all the assets of the business, just depending on the specific structure of that transaction. Yeah. Um, sometimes we would be advancing funds on the purchase order and we may want that security overstock. Yeah. So you're operating in this new and exciting space called fintech. What is fintech? That's a really good question. <laughs> Because I know um, you ask any fintech type expert and you'll get a lot of different answers. Yeah. But it's a really important question. And interestingly, the word fintech was placed into the online dictionary just last year. When I started the business, fintech, particularly in Australia, it, it wasn't a word. If you yeah. Googled it, it would, wouldn't really come up. You speak to a journalist and they wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. So really over five years, the word has become much more of a buzzword, um, which just didn't exist. So what is fintech is so critical and why it's critical is because fintech is such a highly regulated industry that how do you regulate an industry if you don't know what it is you're regulating? Yeah. My personal definition of what is fintech is it's a technology that changes the customer experience for a financial product or service. Yep. But that product or service, it is just very broad. So it could be from crowdfunding to robo-advice to cryptocurrencies, virtual currencies, and lending platforms. It's very, very diverse and all got a lot of nuances in how you regulate. Mm. And it's actually, from a regulation point of view, very interesting to compare it to like a driverless car industry because the regulators have a lot of problems with how do you regulate that industry if you don't understand the technology that's driving that innovation. Yeah. And if you look at fintech, um, one example of one of the more challenging areas of the technology is like digital identities. And that's across a lot of fintech products. So if the regulators are made up of lawyers and accountants, what we really need is data scientists and technologists to understand the technology. Yeah. So I've been very lucky and fortunate in the timing of coming to Australia to set up Timelio, and I've been very actively involved in the fintech industry in Australia. Uh, I was one of the founding board members of Fintech Australia. Oh, yeah. And I currently sit on the federal 
government's advisory board for fintech, particularly advising on the regulation and how, as a country, how can Australia be competitive globally Mm. to attract the innovations to the country? So the definition of fintech is just so important to the regulation yep. to the legislation, and that will directly drive what innovation can come out of this industry because you need a really careful balance of tight regulation and allowing enough flexibility mm. to let the innovation thrive. Um, and, and for example, China is a really good example of yes. that where they had a very open yeah. policy around the regulation <laughs> and now they're trying to yeah. um, clamp down. Clamp, yeah, clamp that down. Yeah, in regards to China, what they've gone through is monumental as far as the P2P lending goes. Yeah. And now they're all scrambling and I know some people there have even had travel bans put on them while they're trying to work this all out. Billions of dollars lost and it was too much of an open market. So what do you believe are the challenges in Australia for getting that regulation up and running? You said that fine balance of innovation and tight regulation. What are the biggest hurdles you believe? Yeah, if you look at China, they have had some problems, particularly in the peer-to-peer market around authenticity of some of the companies there. Yeah. On the flip side, they've seen a lot of innovation and I'd say that China's leading in fintech. Yeah. So that's where the balance in society comes and fintech is so powerful in the social and economic impact it has on the society. Yeah. In Australia, we've definitely erred on the side of more caution around regulation to the point where the country has been lagging, but there is definitely a focus on Australia adapting and bringing in new like sandboxes to encourage Mm. innovation and the government trying to get that right. And it doesn't always happen the first time, but to have a focus on enabling new innovation in this industry to thrive It's a really challenging issue to address, but I think there is a consensus that there needs to be more focus to allow that to happen. And it's actually probably shifting from looking at the big incumbent banking institutions and moving away from going, oh, how do we encourage those institutions to be more innovative to a shift towards actually let's make it easier for new enterprises to start up to challenge those incumbents. That's where the shift is happening. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, it's so tough, I think, to get that balance right. You don't want people losing money. And at the same time, you want to make sure you encourage innovation. I mean, this is the same sort of thing in every industry, I'd say, has this sort of issue. But fintech, it's probably more pronounced because it's directly dealing with money as the product. So it's a big challenge. And yeah, that's fantastic with uh, Fintech Australia. What initiatives are they on at the moment? What's the plan for Fintech Australia? Part of the reason I was very excited to be part of establishing this organisation a few years ago is because some of the key objectives for fintech and for me personally um, in this industry is education and awareness of the industry. Because so many people actually aren't aware of the fintech options that are available now can really assist them and that education piece. Yeah. And really creating that community because from my business point of view, I don't see other fintech companies as competitors, but we're all working together to build an industry. Yeah, It's fascinating to think that a few years ago when I started Timelio, there would have been dozens of fintech companies around starting up. And now at, I know Fintech Australia's latest count, there's more than 650 wow. in Australia. So the industry has really come a long way in five years, which is great to see. 
Yeah, it's definitely accelerating and I've seen it in the past few years as well with the fintech community, how big it's grown in Melbourne at least, and there's no sign of it slowing down, that's for sure. Absolutely, yep. So Timelio has come a long way since its beginning and you've recently received some funding. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, we've done two capital raises, um, a seed round to get us going and what you might call a Series A. And in fact, Andrew and I initially self-funded the business, which is really important, I think, for starting the business. Yeah. You know, we, we sold our house, we invested everything wow. into it to make sure that we were earning revenue before we even raised our seed round. Yeah. Um, we raised our seed round from some really supportive group of investors. And what I really like is that whilst where we've got this marketplace of investors and businesses, we went to some of the early investors funding the businesses on our marketplace. You know, they were early adopters of our technology and product and said, you know, are you interested to invest in the equity? And so they're still investors today, which is really great to see that crossover and support of our business. Yeah. And then a couple of years ago, we raised the Series A, so in total around $5.5 million of equity yep. and from a really supportive group of shareholders who help our business and yeah. have really made a difference to the growth that we've seen over five years. Yeah. It's very important to have that brains trust from your investors and that collective support, isn't it? Absolutely. The main thing is to be aligned with your shareholders yeah. and you're all working towards that same goal and what you're trying to achieve in the long term yeah. um, and that purpose. And I think it's important to say that we put purpose ahead of profit. And that's a really key difference in establishing this business. My key focus is that our purpose is to improve the financial well-being of business owners. Yep. All of that stress that they might experience in trying to raise capital to keep their business operating, finance can be such a stress for them. So it's key for me that that is what our focus is for our customer and putting them at the core of what we do. Yeah, And that's probably the key differentiator for all fintechs in this industry is shifting that focus from profits and shareholders to purpose and customers. And that's what makes the difference. Let's talk a little bit about that, about the traditional models out there and the traditional finance models at the moment. What's the biggest differentiators between the traditional models and these new models? Is it culture with the customers, internal culture? What are the differentiators? Culture is a really important point to raise because I personally see that as one of the key inherent problems in the industry. Yeah. So for me personally, having spent many years working in financial institutions, one of the reasons I left and I go, I want to do finance differently is around culture. I personally didn't enjoy that culture and I just want to I just want to do it differently. And there's various different parts to culture and how, how do you describe how do you do that differently? One of them is an openness to adapt to change. So I would put fintech in the extinction category. So you're either going to change and adapt or you are going to become extinct. Yeah. And culture is critical to being able to adapt and change and attract the right employees and people in your company who uh, align with what you're trying to achieve and your purpose and your vision to adapt and achieve that. So Back to your question around what are some of the key differences, culture, super important. 
I would say that's one of our key competitive advantages in the financial services industry and one that's very difficult for these large, large institutions to change. Um, Very difficult. I mean, the other key component is, of course, the technology. So big financial institutions have typically legacy systems and very tricky technology to be able to do even simple new innovations that are available today. So it's been likened to um, you've got a Boeing 747 in the air trying to change every component part of that aeroplane mm. whilst it's flying. Whilst That's flying. what it, the challenge <laughs> is like for, a, yeah. an example, a bank to try and update their technology. Yeah. And ultimately, what does that mean for the customer? It means such a superior customer service. And what we've found is some of the factors that are driving fintech is customers are becoming used to that customer experience that they see with the likes of Amazon, Facebook. Yeah. All of these companies they experience in their day-to-day life and their superior customer service, financial services has typically got a very low positive customer experience rating. So they are now starting to demand, I want to see that in my financial services providers. I want flexibility. I want to do transactions on my phone. So the rise of banks that are purely online, like an Atom Bank, um, purely just an app, uh, become very popular. So that use of technology is a driving force behind the change in fintech also. Yeah. So the traditional model's got a lot of pain points, as we know, for the customer. And with P2P lending, it potentially gives dignity back to the business as well. I know a lot of banks will drag business owners through the ringer and make it very difficult, piles of paperwork, and it will take a long time. And essentially, like you've said, you're modernizing an archaic method of getting money and making it fun, easy, and simple. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's funny how you say fun and easy and simple because uh, our customers sometimes come to us and go, that was really fun (laughs) to um, update, you know, get drawdown funding on my invoice. I actually had fun. And this is the first time you start hearing those words associated with a financial service or product. um, And it's taking that stress away from it. So when customers come to us, we're like, how do we find a way to help you? Not how do we put up the barriers to uh, end up making your life very difficult? It's like when PayPal came to market. When PayPal came, it changed the way you make payments. It made it less painful. It made it easy. You could register online. You didn't have to talk to anybody and get denied by a person. You just logged in and you did your transaction and it started bringing that essence of fun to paying. I mean, no one ever associates paying and fun in the same sentence, but yet technology today is enabling that and your platform, as an example, is doing that for business owners where for them, running the business is stressful enough and getting finance is stressful enough. Why do you have to make that process stressful? And I see that's probably where the future is. It's finding those real deep pain points within day-to-day lives and making them less painful and giving dignity back to people. That's spot on. And it is about dignity and it's about giving them control back in their decision making and power of running their business, knowing that yeah. they've got that cash flow to support them. Yeah. And so seeing those business owners, when they upload their invoice and they will sit and watch it and see, oh, we've had five investors bid on my invoice. And then on the flip side, when an invoice goes live and they get notified, within sometimes two or three seconds, those investors have funded that invoice. So 
um, from both sides of the marketplace, they're very excited about what they are enabling. And you know, yeah. for investors, they are directly seeing the benefit of funding Australian businesses and there's a real purpose to their investment as well. So how much funding has gone through the platform itself over time? How much have you enabled? Do you have a figure on that? Yes. So I go back to the very first month that we launched, we funded $60,000 to a Tasmanian business to help them secure a lease that they needed to expand their business. And it was such a key milestone to support that business. Yeah. To today, we're four years later, we've funded more than half a billion dollars wow. through the platform. So it's amazing to see. But it really is those individual customer stories of where we help those businesses yeah. really drives me and it drives our team to continue every day to smash through all of those brick walls and challenges that come up and yeah. run into business. It's such a pleasure to see the impact we have on our customers. Can you tell us a story of one of your customers? I've got a great story of one of our customers who've been with us for around three years and they initially came to us. They were receiving this invoice funding from one of the incumbent traditional providers and one of the challenges that they had was they had a really high growth business, again, selling a fast-moving consumer good through to some of the big supermarkets and also exporting. Yeah. And the challenge that they had was their funding facility was capped. So they're stuck with, you know, here's a million dollars in funding, you can't have any more. And so whilst Coles comes and says, oh, but we want to order so much more of your product, yeah. they would turn away business. And that is the biggest heartbreak for any business owner is to walk away from your potential business. So they switched over to us and basically we gave them a huge amount of flexibility to grow their business. Yep. Their funding quadrupled with us wow. and that enabled their turnover in a few years to go you know, from 5, 10 million up to 30 million turnover. So a substantial growth in this business, yeah. which they could not have achieved without flexible funding. They import their raw materials from overseas. So we provided funding to help them bring in those raw materials and also funding their overseas customers and their overseas invoices. So it's such an amazing story of the power of just a little bit more cash flow fueling that growth in the company. Yeah. You know, we love these customer stories and these products of these. We're also consumers. We make sure that we're buying their products in the office and every time we have events. So we're big supporters of them. That's amazing. And there'd be so many stories like that and so many companies that would be in that position. Is that correct? Where their growth is limited by their capital? Correct. And that's the story of many of our customers that we work with. And, you know, as I mentioned before, their first port of call is you ring up your bank and you usually hit a brick wall. In particular, after 2008, the impacts of some of the changes in the industry is that it's had a direct impact on business lending. Yeah. So it's becoming harder and harder. And so that's why the focus on you know organizations like Fintech Australia to raise awareness, credibility, and educate the market on alternatives is so important. Because yeah. if they don't know where they can go to get the support, then they will come across struggles to grow their business. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the disruption. Fintech in general is very disruptive at the moment. In Australia, we've had the Banking Royal Commission, which has tightened lending. 
how can the traditional model evolve to take advantage of these new technologies when you have such large institutions that are very difficult to move, very difficult to change their culture and the way they do business, but yet the technology is moving a thousand times faster than them? What's the future look like? So I, I guess the evolution of disruption starts off with new entrants attacking the individual products and parts of the big incumbent. Yeah. And that's what's been happening. Yeah. So, you know, we're all very focused on certain parts of the banking processes. And what happens over time is these new entrants grow larger and take a more meaningful portion of the incumbents' profits. And I know there's a recent survey by McKinsey & Co who their research suggests that up to 60% of retail bank profits is at risk of failing to adapt. Yeah. And these are from companies like your Stripe, your PayPal, transactional companies that are attacking retail at the moment. Yeah. There's transactional companies, there's lending businesses, and it's getting easier and easier as the regulation becomes more supportive. So, and a good example of this is the open banking data legislation. And that really frees up fintech to gain more data that the bank has been reluctant to release. Yeah. So, it's really supportive of new innovation. So, as that develops, the fintechs and new entrants are going to take more and more share of the bank's profits effectively. So what's really interesting in this space is if you look at large non-financial businesses who are entering the space. Yeah. So an example of this is Intuit, a cloud accounting software in the US. They're now doing direct lending to businesses. So it's the large companies that are not in the space that are also very, very interesting. So what I see happening over a 10-year period is a really material change in the way banks operate. Yep. So they will be selling off more and more of their additional products and services like asset management and insurance, and they will be much more focused on just some core banking products. And potentially establishing relationships with some of these larger technology providers. They're going to have to. Yeah, I see whether there's partnerships. I mean, it's already happening, yeah. but it will be more and more um, prevalent in the need to keep up with the pace of change. But as always happens, and you see it in so many sectors, media is a really good example of yeah. if you're slow to adapt, um, you become irrelevant very quickly. Finance is no different. Yeah. It's just been one of the slower industries for this change to take place. And again, it comes back to the regulation overriding this industry, yep. but it is changing and it's no different to any other industry that's disrupted by technology. Yeah. And fintech obviously opens up for more globalization as well. So traditionally, banking is very local. You want to take out a loan, you use an Australian bank. Obviously, regulation governs this, but do you see the future of fintech as just being global like media? You know, you go on Facebook now, a global company to get your media. Previously, you would have bought the local paper. Now you use a global company to get a lot of your media, what a lot of people do. Google is another example. Do you think banking and finance will go down that path where it will just be global companies that are dominant players eventually? So their power will shift to the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, but in the finance sector, will there be big financial players that have fintech throughout their whole DNA? Yes. And it does depend on which part of fintech because they're all driven by the local regulations driving the industry in that country. 
But there's a lot of fintech that certainly is globalized, especially, I mean, payments is a really interesting part of fintech. So absolutely. Yeah. Taking out a home loan from maybe 5,000 different people lending money on a platform could potentially be the future. Applying for your home loan and getting it within an hour from 5,000 different investors with a company that's all on the other side of the planet. Yeah. And from our investments and our funding point of view, we already have global investor base. Yeah. And- What's fascinating is that there's a lot of opportunity for these investors and interest to fund Australians and their businesses and their consumers here as well. So it's disrupted the sector for a lot of SMEs where they source their funds. What about large enterprise? Could they take advantage of these sort of technologies? Absolutely. Large corporates can take advantage of fintech and in particular, if we look at what technology we've built for large corporates is a platform that enables them to really easily manage payments to suppliers. And this enables them ultimately to optimize working capital. So what that means is they're getting the best value, maximizing their cash flow across the business and improving financial performance. And the reason they might want to look at this is margins at the moment are you know, often being squeezed in across a lot of companies. Yeah. And this can be used to boost margins, reduce what cost to suppliers. There's a whole variety of ways they can improve their financial performance with this. And what's really interesting is where Australia sits in using the supplier payment technology compared to somewhere like Europe. Yeah. So Europe has a whole industry of working capital experts and companies. So more than two thirds of large European companies will have a platform like this oh, wow. where they are providing early payment to suppliers. Yeah. They're very advanced on managing their cash flow. If you look at Australia, it's only around 7%. Why have we lagged so far behind? Again, it's around use of technology. We're one of the few platforms in Australia that specialises in this supply payment space because it's very difficult to manage this at scale across thousands of suppliers using emails and spreadsheets. And that's kind of what happens and it's done in a clunky way and on a low scale. Again, it comes back to that fintech industry of education and awareness of products and educating finance managers and boards and finance directors of how can they better manage the cash flow in large enterprises and to benefit from the technology that can boost profits effectively. Yeah, and it helps them build better relationships with their supply chain as well. Oh, absolutely. There's a really good, feel good factor there where they would be managing calls from suppliers going, oh, can you pay me early this month? Oh, it's December. I need this for payroll. They get hundreds of those calls. Yeah. So by offering this solution to them, they become a customer of choice for their supply chain and it reduces risk for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's funny that you mentioned spreadsheets in there. Speak to quite a few people in fintech and they say that the biggest competitor in fintech is Microsoft Excel. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yep. And I know some of the biggest financial institutions in the world will use Excel for behind the scenes for a lot yeah. of products and it all comes down to scale. So yep. Excel's great. We'll use Excel for a lot of purposes, but when you're trying to do something at scale using money and processes, there's going to be human errors. Yep. So that's where technology is going to be superior. So Timelio is a very innovative company. You've got a very innovative team here. Obviously, being in fintech and in such an exciting industry, what do you do for your team here? How do you keep the buzz going and how do you keep your team so innovative? 
When you talk about the buzz, what I think of is the impact that we have on our customers. So it's always for me about sharing those customer stories, feedback. We get calls saying, just thank you. You've made such an impact to us. And sometimes they're quite emotional in a good way. So for me, that's sharing those stories and make sure everyone really understands the impact and purpose of what they're contributing to. Yeah. And to step back a little bit. It's around also bringing those people into the team that are aligned with that, which all drives towards your culture, being able to move quickly to changes in your environment, which happens. You know, we have opportunities from week to week that we're not expecting that you come across. So having processes in place and the flexibility to be able to adapt and look at those and having the right people to do that. Yeah. And what about yourself personally, Charlotte? You've told us that you talk about the business 24-7. What do you do personally to remain innovative and to have that foresight and be ahead of the curve? I mean, it's such a fast-changing industry fintech at the moment. What do you do personally? That's a really good question. And when you mentioned 24-7, that's probably key for me to highlight. So, It is 24-7 because Andrew and I would, in the early days, it's us two representing two sides of the marketplace. So our late night debates is around how do we price this cost of finance? I'm representing the businesses, he's representing the investors, and it is 24-7 debate whilst you're brushing your teeth, whilst you're doing everything. So for me personally, to remain innovative and focused is having a bit less balance in 24-7. There's so long you can do that for, but after now five years, I'm very focused on making sure there is time to think and be innovative because if you're doing and talking and doing risk discussions, you don't have the space to do that. So it's about making the time to even if it's just saying I don't work on a weekend, <laughs> yeah, that's time to think, and that's what I think is most important. If you're leading a business that's been innovative and forward thinking, it's time to think. Yeah, and do you have any books that you recommend? That anything that's inspired you that you've read? I guess that's linked to my previous comment, and that if I'm making time to read a book right now, I'll try and look at a non-business book. So every day I am reading news, I'm reading social media, I'm reading blogs, I listen to podcasts, I do all of that from a professional sense, so I know everything that I can that's going on. If I were to mention a book that's somewhat business related, that I have recently, I could recommend, and it's called Chaos Monkeys. It's an autobiography by Antonio Garcia Martinez and it likens Silicon Valley to the chaos monkeys of society and his experience of he sold a company to Twitter, he worked in Facebook in the early days, talks a lot about culture, talks a lot about venture capital funding, but also that whole industry in Silicon Valley. The book's a little bit controversial in some of the discussions that take place in there, but it is an interesting read to really, for me, again, understanding in a tech world, the impacts on society and the people around you, the culture in some organizations and what that means. Yeah, so it's a very interesting, deep perspective of Silicon Valley. Yes. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode, Charlotte. Thank you very much once again for taking the time to be on Future Nation and sharing your insights with us. Thank you, and it's been great talking.
We are always looking for innovative and interesting people to be on our show. If you or someone you know would like to share their experience and be a featured guest on Future Nation, head on over to futurenation.co and click on Apply to Be a Guest. If you like this episode, please subscribe to receive future episodes as they are released. Once again, thank you for listening to Future Nation. Thank you for listening to Future Nation. Hey, no problem, buddy. Head on over to futurenation.co. What for? For show notes and more. Oh, and don't forget to share and subscribe.